this morning, um, we are eventually going to get to the point where I'm going to have those kids and the youth leaders that were on the mission trip up here in front. They're going to share with you a few things, and um, we will eventually get to that. But right now, as we've been going through this whole theme of let's go through the book of Acts, grab your Bibles, open up your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 6, staying in uh, sort of in, in theme and in line with this scripture and uh, what we're doing. I thought it was very appropriate, and maybe it's a good thing that the children are, are inside and not outside, because when we get to the story of Stephen, we don't need any reenactments. Um, and I'm afraid the kids would have looked for some rocks, maybe, and you'll understand when we get there. Starting in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it says this, So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests uh, were converted as well. So looking at this, think about this. This is the beginning of the church. There's an explosion of believers. And it's an amazing thing that takes place. And just as there's quick growth in the church and people are giving their lives to Jesus, there's also a growing opposition. There was persecution that was on the rise. Now they were starting to be, the apostles at least, were starting to be arrested for their faith. And it seemed as if faith in Jesus Christ, as this is going to grow, we're going to see here in Scripture, that opposition will grow as well. To the point in which we are now going to focus from the ministry of all of the apostles, we're going to narrow in on a couple of the apostles, beginning with Stephen. So we read on here, verse 8, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. So now here we have Stephen meeting up with some people who are in disagreement with what he is saying about Jesus Christ. And he is standing there with the power and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit behind him. And these men who are disagreeing with him in front of him. And in their jealousy... They start making up all these stories about Stephen. Well, he said this and he said that, which we know are not true, but they're jealous of him. So they make up these stories saying that his messages were directly against Moses, against God, and against the temple. So as they accuse him and make these claims, the face of Stephen begins to glow. Now, I don't know if that takes you back to any scripture, but look, look at verse 15. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel. His face reflected a perfect peace and confidence. It was as if he's, I'm trusting God. This is all good. And his face was reflecting the glory of God. One theologian said this. The description is of a person who is so close to God, he reflects some of his glory as a result of being in his presence, just like the face of Moses. If you see up on the screen, Exodus chapter 34, verse 29, we remember it says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware, but his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. It's only one of the only other times in Scripture you see this happen. Moses met with God, and his face became radiant because it reflected the glory of God. And now Stephen is standing here in front of these men, and his face becomes radiant. And it's almost as if something holy is about ready to happen. It wasn't fear. It wasn't terror. Because here's a man of God who's being falsely accused they're raising their voices at him. And if you've ever been in that situation where you are being falsely accused, where you're being yelled at, where you're being said all these things about you that are not true, it's very easy in that moment to want to just fight back. Instead, the face of Stephen starts to reflect God. And then he's got a little message for them. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he preaches this little mini-sermon. So beginning in Acts chapter 7, if you want to look there, in verse 2, Stephen begins this mini-series or this mini-sermon. He says, let me tell you about Abraham. You all remember Abraham, don't you? God said, Abraham, I want you to leave everything behind. Land, everything, your home, what you're used to. You're going to go into a new land. I'm going to give you a lot of descendants. 
What would it be like if God just told you and you heard the audible voice of God say, hey, where are you at right now? I know you're comfortable. I know this has made you living here. I want you all to leave Northwest Ohio and I'm going to send you into another country. Just start going. I'll tell you when to stop. So he starts with Abram. And he works his way through the ancestry of Abraham to Isaac, to Jacob, to Jacob's family. And he's like, you remember Jacob? Remember his son Joseph? Joseph was thrown in a pit, taken to the prison, ended up in a palace. And now he is in Egypt, second in command. You remember that story? He sort of goes through the history of God's people. And then he talks about how this new king comes to position in Egypt. That new king doesn't recognize Joseph or Joseph's family or the, the people of God. And he basically enslaves all of them because they're a growing population. Which leads us to Moses, because he was a part of that growing population. And then he talks about Moses, the burning bush, the calling of Moses to rescue the people of Egypt. The rescue from Egypt, the crossing through the Red Sea and into the wilderness. All these things Stephen is sharing with the religious leaders. He's like, you guys remember this, remember this? Because remember what he's being falsely accused of? He's being falsely accused of blaspheming God and Moses and the temple. So he started with Abraham and sort of works how God works through the whole family here and gets to Moses, spends a lot of time talking about how awesome Moses is. And then he gets into, after they leave Mount Sinai, um, the people reject Moses and God corrects them, gets them back on track, continues to talk about the tabernacle, which where God would be setting up and tearing it down until we get to King David. Oh, and then there's King David. He wants to build a temple. Let's forget the tabernacle. Let's build something solid, something permanent. For 10 years, this church was a tabernacle. We set up and tore down chairs every single Sunday for 10 years until finally we had a temple, okay? Now, that's not what this is. This is not, but it gives you that idea. The people of God were so happy we actually have a structure to be in and so David was excited about that, but it was Solomon who actually built the temple. So again, Stephen's filling everybody in on the history. And everybody's, yeah, the temple, the temple, which you're being accused of, of wanting to tear down. Stephen's like, no, let me tell you about the temple. And then he gets to the point and he stops. And then this is where he sort of puts it on. He points the finger back at the religious leaders and says, you, by the way, are the ones who wanted to destroy the temple. You destroyed Jesus Christ. So he basically gets through the whole history lesson and comes to the end and says, I don't know why you're blaming me. You're the ones guilty. Now, if you are one of the Jewish leaders, you're not happy about this. You heard the stories, stories that you had memorized, stories that you as a, as a religious leader probably been teaching others. Now you hear it all. It's like, yep, yep, yep. Oh, yeah, hey, you know what? We're on the same page. We're on, hey, yeah, yeah. And that, now, I'm not guilty of killing Jesus. All of a sudden, the tables are turning. Now, they're, oh, that just took them, took them off a little bit more. Look what happens. Verse 54. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. They shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the place of honor at God's right hand. If you can imagine this, remember, his face was glowing because it was reflecting the glory of God. And which makes sense because now he sees, actually sees the heavens open and he sees Jesus Christ. And again, that reflection is still happening. And of course, the religious leaders, they don't see it. Their eyes have not been opened. Verse 57. Then they put their hands over their ears and they began shouting. They rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. Basically what happens is you look for rocks, you look for stones, and you just, you just throw them at the person and throw them at the person until they're on the ground, and you keep throwing them at them and throwing them at them until they are dead. It's a horrible thing. And this is what they're doing to Stephen. His accusers, they took off their coats, they laid them, listen, at a young man named Saul. We're going to learn more about him here very soon. You're going to later recognize his name as Paul, the apostle who wrote many letters in the Bible. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, shouting, 
Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Did you see how he died? He died shouting, forgive these people. They don't know what they're doing. That's, not, that's the heart of God right there. It's an amazing story. These leaders, they took so much offense. Their accusations. And, and instead, of, instead of discussing a difference, they got angry. They got violent. Reminds me of a lot of today. Today, there used to be a time you could talk politics, you could talk about anything you wanted to, and have a good discussion. Today, you say something that somebody may disagree with, and all of a sudden, they will walk out on you. They will disown you. You can't be a part of this family. They might even get violent. They get so disruptive, and they want to argue and shout and point their finger. Uh, riots have started because of these kinds of things, and it just doesn't make sense. It's like, why are you so quick to be angry? Why can't we just talk about it calmly? This is the scene. Basically, Stephen is saying, guys, you're the ones that killed Jesus. They know it. These religious leaders were responsible for killing Jesus. But instead of discussing it, they turned violent. So violent that Stephen was killed. Now, there's a great deal in this passage. I mean, an incredible amount of things we could look at, we could study, we could discuss. But as I first read this passage, there's four things that popped out at me. I want to share those four things with you. And along with those four things, then, they were sort of reinforced this past week as we were on our mission trip. Here's the first thing. First thing is, you don't have a place to stand unless you're standing on truth. Everyone has a view for how the world works. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Everybody has this worldview. On any certain topic that you want to talk about, um, you see things a certain way. Right? But Christians, Christians have a biblical worldview. We see the world through the lens of the Bible. For those of you that have glasses or contacts, you have different things, uh, different uh, impurities with your eyes that you need help. So you have a, a lens that helps you see things clear. Okay? As Christians, this world is very foggy. We need to understand how to see this world in a clear way. We pull up the Bible as our biblical lens. We see the world through the Bible. That is our biblical worldview. We understand it is authoritative. It has all authority. We believe these are the very words of God. And they are trustworthy. There are no errors in the Bible. We see the things of this world, whether it's gender issues, abortion, whether it's caring for people, whether it's creation. We look at all those topics, all those issues, through the lens of the Bible. We have a biblical worldview. Like I said, we've, we've talked about this before, but I want you to understand this. We believe the Bible, as Christians, is our foundation. So whenever I hear somebody say, I'm a Christian, but yet they are not going off the Bible, sometimes I question, are you a Christian or do you not understand where you should stand? If you're a Christian and you don't believe in the Bible, then I have a hard time believing you're a Christian. We stand on the Bible as absolute truth. Not opinion, not a good idea, but absolute truth. So Stephen trusted the very words of God. That was his foundation. That's what allowed him to stand against the opposition. He stood on what he believed was true. But to do so, he had to know it. You have to know God's word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that not need be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. As a as a Christian, we are students of God's Word. We study. We work hard to know the Word. Be a good worker. You don't have to be ashamed. You need to know how to correctly divide the Word of God. And it's like, I don't know how to study the Bible. Ask. Ask myself, an elder. Ask me. There's a lot of people out here who lead Bible studies. Go up to them and say, how do I study the Bible? How do I get better understanding the Bible? We will help. But understand this like Stephen. Here's the first thing. We need to know God's word. Stephen was who he was because he knew the word of God. Here's the second thing I want you to know about Stephen. He was bold. As a Christian, we need to pray for this boldness. In the Bible, it says, fear not, fear not, fear not. You know, they say, well, it's over 365 times we hear fear not in the Bible, right? How many times does it say be strong and courageous as well? Not just in so much, I see that as sort of a negative thing, like fear not, okay? But how about be strong? Stand firm. 
Be courageous. That is all through Scripture as well. Third thing is this. Expect results, good and bad. When you are a person like Stephen, you know God's word, you are bold, and you're going to expect results, good and bad. When you open up your mouth to tell others about God, there's going to be a response. There will always be a response. Some people will listen. They'll accept what you're going to say. Other people will look at you and walk away. Some people will argue with you. Some people don't want to hear what you have to say about God. But here's the thing. We are not responsible for the actions of other people. We are responsible for telling people about Jesus. How they take it is on them. Sometimes we feel like we have failed because we have shared God's word with somebody and they have not received it. And it's like, I blew it. No, you did not. You faithfully shared the word of God with those who need to hear it. Now it's up to them to receive it. I was thinking about this. Ryan was our our chef on our our mission trip. Uh, So there were times when we were uh, at our location where we were staying, where we were going to make the meal. And I'm telling you, this guy can cook up a storm, okay? So here's the thing about the way he cooks. He will make things in such a manner. I mean, there's, okay, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I ate asparagus for the first time. I'm over the 50 range, and I had asparagus for the first time. Children, eat your vegetables. Okay, so here's the thing. The way he made it with all the other stuff, Okay, he knows what's good. These are good vegetables, this is good meat, this is so forth, fruit and so forth. All, you know, and there's the spread, right? As the chef, you know what's good for everybody to eat, right? The rest of us, some of us, we're servers. We take what the chef has made and the server brings it out to the table for the people to eat. As the people to eat, we have that food in front of us. I may pick around and somebody like asparagus, not. Okay, was there more mac and cheese? I want a lot of that, less of that. I'm not going to touch that, right? We pick and choose what comes to our table sometimes, whether or not we're going to digest it and bring it in, right? And then we walk away from the table. A lot of times, sometimes our plates still have things on it. That's the way it works. Look at it like this. God is the master chef. He knows what we need. And he gives us everything we need right here. We, church, are the servers. We take what God has given us and we give it to people. They may not clean their plate. They may not take everything we serve them. But we're responsible as servers to take what God has made and to give it to people. So on that that third thing I was sitting there thinking is expect results, good and bad. We serve, some people may or may not take what we want to give them. So the results are going to happen. They may or may not be good. Here's the final thing I had. Have the heart of Nehemiah. Have the heart of Nehemiah. If you've never read the story of Nehemiah, you should read it. In Nehemiah 1, we read that he was in captivity. He had been taken out of his homeland of Judah. And when somebody came to basically visit Nehemiah, the, these men came to him, and he's like, what's going on in my homeland? Tell, tell me about the, the Jews that are still there. Tell me about what's going on in my homeland. Fill me in. I want to know. This is Nehemiah asking the question. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3, it says this. I'll put it on the screen. They said to me, here's the report. Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. And the gates have been destroyed by fire. Look at verse 4. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah's heart was crushed. He he saw this need. He he knew that God was in in charge of of this and God can change anything. He knew that. And what did he do when he heard what was happening? He just fell down and he cried. And he prayed. And he fasted. He said, I'm not going to eat for a couple days. I just, he was so moved. He was so crushed by the need he saw that it affected him spiritually. He prayed for God's help. And I want to ask, I want to ask you this question. What is it right now, church, that causes your heart to be crushed? What is it that makes you weep? When you look out in this world, when you look around and you see things, what is it that breaks your heart for God? 
You know, we weep over our own misfortunes. We weep over things that are understandable. You know, like, boy, that hurts. Like, you know, I lost this, or I can't find this, or my job is this way, or my family member is this. So we weep over those kind of things. That's understandable. We also weep for things that, when we don't get our own way. I wanted this to happen. It didn't happen. I was hoping to get this. I didn't get this. We weep over this. But let me ask you this. What causes your heart to break for God? When we were out there, and I shared with the students, when we were helping the homeless one day, and I thought about what was going on with Nehemiah, I felt just incredibly guilty. Because we had, we had gone out and we had we'd taken water, and some of these kids, some of our students may share some of this, We've taken water to these homeless people and helping these people and helping these people. And it's just like, okay, we helped them check it off. Hey, let's go get ice cream. And the leaders of our trip took us to go get ice cream. And it's like, I'm eating a $5 cup of ice cream after just serving these people who have nothing. I, I just stood at a dumpster talking to a man as he's pulling food out of the dumpster, looking for other stuff. And I'm praying with him. And then we walk away. And two hours later, I'm over here eating ice cream. And I'm thinking, I don't have the heart of Nehemiah. I mean, if my heart was really crushed for the homeless, I should have been back at our, our, our station or wherever we were staying. And I should have been on my knees praying and fasting and maybe going finding more water to take to more. Because my heart should have been broken for these people to say, I really do want to help, but I don't know how to help. God, how do I help? That's what Nehemiah did. Do you have the heart of Nehemiah? You know, our youth group spent almost a week serving, helping. A lot of these kids, they gave up a week of their summer. They could have been doing all kinds of other things to get really uncomfortable and I don't mean just physically. I mean, you should have seen the room the guys stayed in. I don't know where they put their stuff. I mean, air mattress, air mattress, air mattress, air mattress, air mattress, and luggage, and parents, some of you are looking, you would have looked at them like, huh, where are you laying again? It was uncomfortable. No, not a big deal, right? They got uncomfortable in here, too, in their heart. Like Stephen, they had moments in which they knew they had to know the truth. They had to be bold. They, they had to know that they were going to do something and they may or may not see the results, but they knew there was something going to happen. And they knew their hearts would be crushed and they'll probably share some of that with you. I'm going to ask the team to come forward and they're just going to stand wherever you can up here on the stage and I'm going to give you the handheld, ask you some questions in a second. While they're coming forward, I, I want to fill you in on what they did. So, because here's what's going to happen. They're going to get up here and they might say something and, they're, and you're gonna be, they're going to be like, <laughs> they might laugh at it, and you're like, what are they talking about? Or they're going to say, well, when I met Terry, and you're gonna like, who's Terry? Right? That's going to happen, okay? So they will share with you uh, maybe a little bit more detail. Um, but up on the screen, I'll put a few things up so you can sort of see what they did. This is our team. Not all of them could be here today. Some of them were, uh, took off on a family vacation, and they could not be here. Um, they left last Friday. They went to a camp in West Virginia. No kidding. When we got off the major highway, it was an hour of this. So thankful. You know, can I just say praise God? On this trip, eight days away from you all, not one person got sick. Not one. I mean, that's answered prayer. If you know anything about youth trips, that's answered prayer, okay? We must have saw, anybody just throw out a number, how many deer we saw, like five, four, three, five, four. 200 plus, yeah. I was like, we had been on the road for about a half hour, and they're like, are we there yet? Just count deer. Just count deer. And for the next half hour, they got like 130-something. We'd already seen probably 80, 90 already. It was amazing. Anyway, I'm off track. They, um, we stayed at the, this camp. They were just getting started, a new camp director. Um, I mean, she's fresh out of uh, college, and she's in charge of the camp, and they're getting ready for camp in July. So they sanded uh, down tables and doors and painted uh, for, for that first part. We wanted to give back to them since we were staying there. We paid to be there, but it was one of those things that's like, we want to bless you while we're here. So we did that for a couple hours, and then with their grubby painting clothes, we hopped in the van, drove another five hours to Charlotte, uh, where we got um, unloaded at our the Baptist church that we were staying at. This was the mission center; it was sort of as a it was detached from the main church. It's a rather large campus. Uh, we got up Sunday morning, we worshipped with the church that morning, and then we got ready to head out 
into downtown Charlotte. There's a Salvation Army that houses 300 homeless people. And so before they show up that night, some of them are outside all around. So basically that's when we prepared by getting the water bottles ready um, with little notes on them, Bible verses, um, little packets of electrolytes to pour in the water if they needed. And then we went and we spread out in groups of four. And we went around to the homeless asking if they could use some water, asking if they could use prayer, praying with them. So uh, like in my group, um, I showed them sort of how to do it. But then after that, stepped back and these teenagers stepped up and prayed with these people and handed out the water. It was a very, uh, very bold moment on their part. The next couple of days, we were at Hope Haven, which is basically a place for those dealing with addiction. If you can imagine, basically this is what it is. It's an old hotel with the doors that open to the outside, uh, two-story. That kind of big, big complex is where this Hope Haven is. And we were there doing everything from brushing toilets, painting, mulching, yard work. Um, and a lot of their time was spent talking to the residents, building relationships as well. The other place we were at uh, was a place called Samaritan's Feet. Samaritan's Feet uh, is, is an incredible organization that takes a lot of, like, would you say slides and waves and those kind of shoes helping those in third world countries for the most part that have no shoes. What I did not realize is that in third world countries, you see a lot of kids walk around barefoot. When you are walking around barefoot, you, get, you can step on something, get uh, some kind of disease, you can get injured. That costs money, one, to get that fixed. Two, that comes through your, your body and, and could um, further damage your body, if not even kill you, for the, especially the youngest children. Two, without shoes, you cannot go into some schools. So there's no education. So shoes are very powerful in saving lives physically and educationally. And so Samaritan's Feet just has a warehouse of, of these boxes of shoes. So they were sorting. They were finding shoes with impurities, um, pieces that need to be cut off and cleaned up, pairing them together, boxing them up so they could be, and then taping up the boxes and everything, getting them ready to be shipped out. That was the other part of the mission trip uh, that they experienced. So again, Samaritan's Feet, Hope Haven were the, the two main missions. I'm going to pass the mic here, tell everybody your name. So this way we're going to start. We'll just do, start with one thing. You can tell them your name, and then you can also share um, one thing that just really stuck out, maybe how God impacted you on this trip. And we'll come back to a couple other questions. So go for it. Um, I'm Tristan Pena, and one thing that really stuck out to me was probably um, being able to talk to the people at Hope Haven and, like, getting to know them, and, like, it was, like, really cool and, like, exciting to talk to them. Uh, I'm Gavin Holcomb, and one thing was just, like what Tristan said, there's one specific person we talked to named David, and he shared, like, his whole story with us and why he was trying to, like, better himself. Make sure you guys hold the mic up right up close to your mouth and speak loud. I know Ryan will get this one. Yeah, you're not worried about me. Um, so the, the one that got me was that we spent uh, a total of three days we, when we split up our group. Um, so some of us went to Hope Haven. Some of us went to Samaritan's Feet. And so over the course of a three-day period, everybody up here, had an opportunity to go to an, just an incredible organization that was helping people and spreading God's word. And it just kind of hit me that, you know, they, again, in three days, we hit two amazing places in one city. And I just realized, like, as busy as I am, I don't know any place around here, Toledo, Fulton County, whatever, that is doing that. And it's because I haven't looked, I'm sure they're out there. And so, you know, it made me think like, I need to take that time to go find some places because as busy as I am, I don't have a couple hours a month that I can go try to do these things because we just spent those three hard days there. And every single time we did it, everybody up here had amazing stories from it. So I'm, I'm taking away from my opportunity to bless people, but I'm also not blessing those people. So um, that was my big takeaway. I am, 
I am Abby Lamb. Um, this is Ryan Lamb. Um, one of the big takeaways that I had was um, just, like, our group worked so hard. I mean, like, they, it was, like, all out, all the time. Um, some of the jobs that we were given that they thought would take us a long time to do, we just knocked them out in no time. Um, and that was really cool and really cool that um, it just made me feel like the service work that we were doing, not only were we talking to people and, you know, just being a friendly face, saying hi to whoever came by, um, but I feel like we really showed um, the love of Christ and that we also were giving value to those people, um, just, you know, that we wanted to bless them and give them a nice place to stay, like at Hope Haven. Um, you know, I just think for me, when I mulch my house and just, you know, the pride in that, like, oh, that looks so nice. Like just to give a nice atmosphere um, by serving like that, by mulching and painting and doing all that, all those things so that the people that stay there feel valued and feel like they're worth it. And um, that was one of the big takeaways that I had. Hi, I'm Ashlyn, and my biggest takeaway was definitely when we were working at Hope Haven um, because, like, before we went there, I, w I wasn't trying to, um, like, I don't know, picture what it was going to be like, but I was very nervous to be around some of the residents because I, I haven't been around, like, that much substance abuse in my life. And, um, but, so I was kind of nervous, but um, when we went there and we were just um, doing these other things, like, we got in so many amazing conversations with these residents and, like, so much that some of the people that, um, they were helping us and um, just helping with maintenance and stuff. Like, I didn't even know that they were residents until we um, had meditation with them, which was where they shared, um, like, their life story and how and how they're trying to get better and stuff. So um, that was really cool to just um, become close with them. And you could tell, like, they are trying so hard to get better, to not... Um, I don't know, to not have this addiction. And every single one of them were saying how they turned to God um, in their rough times. And that was really, really cool to me. And um, this one lady, um, what, what was her name? Lenita. Um, she, she was saying how um, her two, like, best friends had died that week um, by living on the streets and they like, cause they couldn't, um, they couldn't stop uh, whatever addiction they had to get into Hope Haven. Um, and they passed away and she said she, she could have turned back to her drugs and stuff like that. But instead she's, she stayed in, she's staying in here and she's getting better every day. And, um, another thing that, uh, they said, so before the meditation, um, they said the serenity prayer, but at the end they said for today. And I thought that was really cool because they just, like, they're, they're, they go day by day. They know every day is going to be a struggle. Like, it's every single day is going to have its own um, anxieties and own, and own problems that they have, but they just go day by day. And I think that's really cool as well. Um, but yeah, so that was just, that definitely changed my perspective a lot. Um, and yeah, so that really affected me. Hi, I'm Alani Haas. And um, so God really impacted me this trip with a personal experience that I had. Um, and the story I'm about to share, um, please don't feel bad for me in any way. But I just wanted to share this with you guys to, like, show you how good God's love is for all of us and that we should all trust him so much. So many of you know that a couple months ago I was diagnosed with a neurological disorder. And this has been, like, it's been wearing at my body, like, physically and mentally pretty bad. Um, yeah. So during, I have, like, episodes. And they take me out for, like, a week every month where I just kind of like fade out of reality, I guess. And I kind of go into this like stage where I can't function properly. Um, 
And so about 12 days before this trip had started, I went into an episode and I was like, okay, that's fine. Like they normally just last a week. So like I can get through this and I'll be okay for the mission trip. I'll be able to experience it. Um, so it actually had started to get worse around the week point where I thought it was going to end and it should have ended. Um, it turned into the longest episode that I had had. And so we left for the trip and I was still very out of it. And um, so it, it pretty much kept me out of it for the day we left, the first actual day that we did work, and then that next day. So I had kind of been out of it for three days that I had been with the team for this trip. Um, the third day I had kind of started to question God and I had started to like kind of give up on trying so hard to come out of this episode. And everyone had been praying for me and I was so thankful for that. But um, it started getting worse again the third day and I could feel it. And normally when I like come out of it, I feel myself starting to get better and it was not. Um, so the third day I was kind of just like giving up at that point. And I figured that I would not be able to experience what these guys were experiencing throughout the trip. And I was really disappointed. Um, around like it was toward, I was sleeping a lot too, which wasn't good. But so the fourth day I had woken up around four o'clock in the morning and when I woke up, I was completely out of that haze. Whatever I was going through, I was completely normal. And that really, like, impacted me because I, it showed me how God was just telling me, like, trust me. And, like, I can get you through whatever you're going through. And it was just amazing because I was able to experience, like, the good parts of this trip. And I was able to hang out with these guys and have a lot of fun. So God really did show me his grace. And he showed me that no matter what you're struggling with, like myself, I was really struggling. And I was losing hope. And I was questioning God. And he really just told me to breathe. And he's got this. And to just trust him. So. My name's Casey Lamb, and my biggest takeaway from this trip was probably working with Samaritan's Feet because um, before we started working, they showed us this video that showed like lots of people, like people who live out of the country and who don't have shoes and stuff like that. And then at the end, one of our leaders told us that we had packed, was it 3,000? 3,000 pairs of shoes. Um, which was just really amazing because that's 3,000 people who don't have shoes who are going to end up getting shoes one day. So, I'm Gretchen Culler, and throughout the trip, I really just realized how much of a great community that we have here because, like, you look at the people who are at Hope Haven, and, like, they didn't have a support system like we do here. And, like, those people pushing you to God. And they did, like, a lot of bad choices during that time. And now they do. And now they're doing great. And that just, like, made me reflect how much of a great community we have here at True North and, like, in Wasteon and, like, in this area. I'm Jana Burkholder. And what really stuck out to me was how many people we were able to bless and it wasn't, like, at Samaritan's Feet. All we did was sort shoes. But we sorted thousands of shoes. And that's thousands of people who are going to have their lives changed forever, really. And so, like, there's so many little things that you can do that can bless so many people. So it's good to do the little things because you never know how much it can change how many people's lives. I'm Reagan Radel. Um, I think my favorite part was probably going to Hope Haven and just meeting the residents and hearing their stories. Um, and also just them telling us how blessed they were. Like, I didn't realize going on the trip, I was like, I'm going to help people. But when you really realize how much you're helping them, doing the smallest things, it it's amazing like the people were so thankful and kind and one of the residents that I really enjoyed talking to was Justin and he knew 
all of the mistakes he had made in his past, and he just looked to God for his future, and he just wanted to strive for that, and he wanted to reconnect with his kids again, and that was just a really cool story to hear. Hello, my name is Peyton Morgan Smith, and I really thought that what was awesome was when we were at Hope Haven, there was this guy, his name was Terry, and it was me, Raja, and Tristan, I don't know if he was there, but um, he was really just talking to us about how, like, why he was in there, and just told us not to go down that path, and like, yeah, so, yeah. I'm Paige Morgan Smith, and the one thing that really stuck out to me was also Hope Haven, um, just how open they were with their stories. And there was this guy that I met outside of, like, I was walking out of the bathroom. He was just, like, standing right there. Um, his name was Spencer, and he told me about his story about how he was a drug addict for, I think he said 10 years. But it was very interesting how open he was. And then he, the one thing I remember him telling me was, never forget God is in your back corner and he will never leave you. So he never forgot that. So that's why he's here at Hope Haven and he's living for God. My name is uh, Jonathan Sandage. Um, I think the coolest part about this week to me has been just seeing the relationships that these guys have built with each other and the relationships that us leaders have got to build with them. Um, the very first day we were driving to West Virginia and the van was just pretty silent. Everyone was on their phones. We were all just kind of looking at each other. No one knew what to say. I was trying to fill the van with awkward conversation, but no one was just, you know, wanting to talk. Um, but just throughout this week on the way home, there was so much laughter and there was so much difference between the last day and the first day. And so seeing these relationships that the kids have built with each other and with us leaders has just been incredible. Um, I've been serving in junior high and high school ministry for the last four years, and I have never seen a group of kids that have bonded so well with each other and with our leaders. And that was just like an incredible experience because not only are these guys bonded with each other, but these guys are going to continue to bond with each other outside of this trip. And these guys are going to continue to push each other toward Jesus, which is just amazing to me. And that just makes my heart so full. Um, one thing in particular was that at the end of every night, we would pray and we'd have this devotional time. But right before we'd go to bed, this guy right here, um, he would look at me and he would say, when you wake up in the morning and when you go to bed at night, just remember you're loved. And as a person that like struggles with mental health, that like really does mean a lot to hear these kinds of things. And so just to see these guys just like push each other toward Jesus has been awesome. I'm Carrie Radel. Um, I had, you guys all took so many of the things I was thinking. Abby, um, that was one of the big ones, is watching our group, and they worked so hard. They, like, you know, it didn't take a second. You know, they say, okay, we want you guys to do this and this and this, and we saw some other mission groups, and they, you know, kind of were like, okay, but our group did not. Like, they instantly were like, okay, let's do this, and it became a race, and that kind of got a little heated at times, but, um, but it was just such a joy to watch how much they, they didn't shy away from hard work, and that was something to be really proud of, to be part of that group. Um, I loved Samaritan's Feet. That was probably my favorite. I love the interactions with the people at Hope Haven also. Um, but I love how Samaritan's Feet started because it was a, a little boy from Nigeria that didn't have shoes. And there was a missionary there that um, was doing a um, basketball tournament. And he decided he'd go and try it out. And he ended up winning and getting a pair of shoes. And that was life-altering. And then he started Samaritan's Feet. So I just thought that was amazing how one ripple can make such a huge difference. Um, and that's kind of what this trip was for me, too. It was just a big impact. Well, I look at the time, and I had two more questions. We're, all, like, over. But that's one of those things where that really reflects this team. At night, we would do what's called high-low buffalo and then uh, debriefing, and then devotional time. And they would all each share their high moment, their low moment, and the buffalo would be just a crazy odd moment for the day. And it took, you know, it was like, oh, this will only be like 10 minutes. Like an hour and a half, two hours later, we're wrapping things up. But they were sharing, every night they would share what God was doing in their life. And as, as a pastor, I sit there and think, you know, my heart was just flying. So everybody's like, aren't you tired? I am. 
Um, I'm very tired, but I have a feeling this afternoon will be a great nap. Um, but it's hard to not be excited when you're around this. Um, being with this youth, I mean, like you said, they, they, they bonded, they worked hard. And even on, on the two days when they were supposed to unwind, okay, we're done with our mission trip. Um, let's just go enjoy and have some fun. Let's go play some miniature golf. Let's go up on a sky lift. Even then, they were still taking what they learned from God and saying, how can we help somebody else? Some of these people, want a, they got a hole in one, so they got a free ticket for another round of golf. They went outside, the three of them, and they just happened to find a family of three that they were able to give their free tickets to to let that family go golf for free. I mean, there's, there's stuff like that. They were always eyes open. How can we love others? Um, we saw, oh, another inspirational thing. I thought about Harold. <laughs> Nobody mentioned Harold. Harold, the, the building we stayed in was, there was a volunteer gentleman. His, he was, his name was Harold. 89 years old, came walking into the building one night during devotional time and just wanted to see what was going on. It's his building. Um, but he said, he went to some of us guys. He's like, hey, can I show up the next morning and uh, do some push-ups with you guys? And we're like, how many push-ups? I'm thinking 20. I usually do 50 with the kids, but I want about 20. I'm going, Harold, how old are you? 89. Jonathan, how many push-ups? Uh, don't answer that question. <laughs> um, but anyway... So it's one of those things where it's like, here's this 89-year-old man showed up the next morning, got us in a big circle, like, ready, one. And I think uh, Raja and, and Tristan, was it the two of you or Peyton? Who was with Raja? Yeah, you did, they actually did too many because they kept messing up. And he had to, he had to start them up. No, 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 we've got to do it again. Let's go. And then we all got down. He got down and did push-ups. I mean, it's that kind of stuff that was just inspiring for us to go out. I mean, how can you not go out and serve others after you have an 89-year-old man do a bunch of push-ups with you, right? Um, these kids are not done. I got a text message from one of them last night said, I just got off the phone with a homeless shelter that I'm going to go volunteer for the rest of the summer off and on. And I think maybe others could too. It's like, we just got home. Some of them were like, I'm going to bed. Some was like, where can I serve now? Um, so I'm very encouraged and very challenged by this team. So, uh, on behalf of the team, I know I'm speaking for all of you on this one, but thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. No, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. You can thank them in a second. I want to say thank you. We asked you to pray. And you gave financially. You covered everything that they needed to do expense-wise. And the safety, driving up to our cabin one night, it's like the church is praying. Trust me. Um, there's moments on this trip with the people that we worked with, it's, it was obvious the church was praying. So on behalf of this team, thank you. Now, now you can clap for them if you want for what they did. So, yeah. Yeah. They have plenty of more stories, so I'll throw some questions your way. You can ask them. Like You can ask them, uh, what did you experience this past week that changed your perspective about the world? You can ask them that question. You can ask them, what did you learn about yourself during this mission trip? Or what God moment did you have that you will never forget? So you can ask any of those kinds of questions. They will answer them. So they'll be around for a little bit out there somewhere and throughout the rest. Uh, but for the rest of the youth and youth leaders that were unable to go, there'll be another trip next summer. Start thinking right now. Start praying right now. God, where, where, where can I go? How can I serve you? But these guys also know we're going to be doing a lot of stuff around here as well. So the mission is right here in our own backyard as well. Um, I'm going to ask the mission team, or the mission, ask the mission team to go ahead and have a seat. Worship team, come on up. And uh, we'll, we'll close out. Would you all stand, please? After being with these guys uh, for the past week plus, you know, it was obvious that we could sit around for hours and talk about what God's doing. And I'm so thankful. And that's why when I was looking at the story of Stephen and looking how this apostle who just loved Jesus, Stephen did what he did because he knew the word and he had to be bold. And he knew, he knew that if I open my mouth and share about Jesus, something's going to happen. And that's, that was the life of Stephen. Unfortunately, Stephen was persecuted. And I know here in this 
world that we live in, there will be persecution. I, I pray none of us in here, you know, lose our life because of our faith, but if we do, all glory to God. But some of you will be laughed at. Some of you will be rejected. And I just want to encourage you, that's part of it. Know God's word. Be bold. Be courageous. Expect results. And pray for a heart that's going to be crushed for God. I believe the hearts of these young people that were up here, that was, they, were, they were pushed. And I, and I pray that they're going to continue. I pray for the young people in our church that maybe didn't have an opportunity to, to maybe go on this trip, but there's, there's a camp that's still coming up. I know they're going, to, they're going to find amazing things at our camp that's coming up and a few other things. But let's continue to pray, not just for the young people, but for the rest of us adults in this room that we will be bold, that we will know God's word, and that we will rightly and justly proclaim what is true, knowing that God is good and we can leave the results to him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. Thank you, Lord, so much for this day. I thank you, Lord, that we can, we can come inside as much as we want to be outside. We can come inside and still praise you, still hear the testimonies of these young people, still hear that you are still doing it amazing and miraculous things in the lives of so many people. Lord, we think of those that, that were touched this week at Hope Haven and Samaritan's Feet and on the streets outside uh, of Charlotte and, and outside Salvation Army and, and those that we met on the road at the gas stations and, uh, and in Gatlinburg, all those places we were at, all those people that we met and we were able to just say, we love Jesus. How about you? Can I pray for you? God, we pray for those lives that they will continue to be impacted, that the seeds that were planted, that somebody else will come along and water them, and that someday there will be a great harvest. Lord, we pray for this community. We pray for Northwest Ohio, for the many places that do need help. We have so many people, even right here in the backyard of our church, in the apartments next door, there's so many people that could use your love. They need more than just a handout. They need more than just food. They need salvation. So God, I pray that we will be bold. I pray that we will be courageous. I pray, Lord, that we will be obedient to your word and share your love with this world. We love you, Lord. In thy name we pray. Amen.